Hey folks, before we begin, I just want to, you'll notice uh, a change in audio quality as we go through the episode, uh, and that's due to the fact that I did part of the recording while uh, going through Hurricane Ida. I live here in southeast Louisiana, and uh, as you know, uh, the area took a pretty big hit from the storm as it made its way through as a Category 4. Uh, luckily, I didn't have uh, that much damage. As a matter of fact, I pretty much just lost power for about 15 hours. Uh, but other areas of Louisiana and now even the Northeast uh, didn't fare as well. Uh, so in the show notes, I'm going to include some links. And if you are interested and able to donate to relief uh, here in Southeast Louisiana or anywhere else, I'll be posting some links to some reputable sites such as the United Way and the Red Cross. So uh, again, you know, thanks for tuning in and thanks for understanding and please, if you can, uh, donate to the cause. It's time for the Comic Bing Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Batman, Wonder Woman, Marvel, Spider-Man, Image, Spawn, Saga, Boom, Once and Future, Power Rangers, or whatever book or publisher you follow. We cover them all here. This is the place for you. That's right. It's for everyone. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hello folks and welcome to another episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. I am your host Theo and this is going to be a reviews episode. Uh, we got six books lined up, three of them I promised to go over in our last episode and three more that recently came out. So uh, we're going to be looking at hardware number one from DC Comics as well as white number two from black mass studios and then we're gonna take a look at ordinary gods from kyle higgins at image comics and then after that we're gonna roll over right into issue two of ordinary gods and then we're gonna look at icon and rocket issue two from dc comics and then we're gonna close things with um spider-man Life Story, the annual issue uh, that was done by Chip Sadowski, so over at Marvel. So, as always, before we get into our reviews, let's look at the news. And so, first up, probably the biggest news over the last couple of weeks has been the uh, announcement of James Tynion IV leaving Batman and DC Comics as a whole in the early 2022 he's actually going to be stepping off for the batman title uh at the end of fair state which is the event that's getting ready to start but he's going to stick around at dc and uh, finish up uh some work with um the joker title that he's currently writing as well and uh some other books that he has been collaborating with so but in the end he plans on uh, moving most of his stuff over to Substack, uh, something that a lot of creators are starting to do now. But since he's been at Substack, he's put out uh, 
several pieces regarding pictures he made to DC regarding Batman as well as his thoughts on 5G and what that was meant to be and how it turned out to not be. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, take a look at the two articles that my boy Ian Miller wrote over on the Batman universe to find out more about what uh, JT had to say about Batman and Batman's role in uh, the original plans for 5G. So about a month ago, uh, Comic-Con International announced the winners of the 2021 Eisner's. So now it is time to prepare for the 2021 Ringo Awards uh, that will be announced at Baltimore Comic-Con in October. And so they've recently put out their list of nominees for their different categories. And so just a few that are out there. Uh, Best cartoonist, uh, most popular is probably uh, Stan Sakai, of course, who... uh, just one at uh, just one at Eisner as well. Uh, best writer. Some of the nominees include Jason Douglas, N.K. Jemison, uh, James Tynan, and Ron V. Uh, best penciler. Jamal Campbell uh, is the most popular name that pops out to me. Uh, best anchor. Sanford Green for Bitterroot is out there. Uh, best series right now they have the Department of Truth from Image, Far Sector from DC uh, as well as there's that, there's that title again, Yusagi Yojimbo from Stan Sakai uh, also nominated for best series so if you want to uh, see the full list of categories and nominees uh, just head over to the Ringo Awards uh, website over at RingoAwards.com and take a look. Again, they're going to be announced at Baltimore Comic Con, which will be held the weekend of October the 22nd, and the awards is actually on that Saturday the 23rd. So, New York Comic Con has recently announced that they will require proof of vaccination for those who attend this year's event. So, in addition to wearing, uh, requiring masks, they will also require participants to show proof of vaccination in order to to attend. And uh, they will also require uh, proof of vaccination for those who wish to attend the event. And again, that's for anyone who is eligible to receive a vaccine. So uh, that's typically the age of 12 and above. So again, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out uh, with uh, New York Comic Con requiring not only masks, but also proof of vaccination in order to attend this year's convention. Uh, Other big news, and this one's coming out of Marvel, was the announcement that Jonathan Hickman is stepping down from his role as the head of X, uh, the main showrunner if there was such a thing in comic books uh, for all of the X books at Marvel. So now he is not leaving Marvel itself. He is just stepping down from his role uh, as basically the showrunner of all of the X books. So uh, we'll see if they're going to announce someone else to replace him or not. Uh, But 
that should be happening pretty soon with him stepping down. Also, over at Marvel, they recently announced that Daredevil will be coming to an end with issue 36. Uh, so, Jeff Sadowski, who has been doing an absolutely wonderful job writing uh, The Adventures of Matt Murdock out of Hell's Kitchen, uh, will finally be bringing that run to an end. So, so as those who are reading the series know Matt has been serving time in prison and Electra has been protecting Hell's Kitchen as the new Daredevil. Well, all of that will be coming to an end with issue 36 and that is scheduled to be released in the month of November on the 17th. Uh, so for those of you who have been enjoying the run by Chip Zdarsky, uh, it's going to be coming to an end, so we'll see what Marvel has planned for Daredevil after that. Over at DC, uh, as expected, or at least as I expected, uh, DC recently announced that Robins, number one, was the winner of the Rob Robin competition that they had over the past few months where uh, some future pitches went head to head against each other in a tournament. So Robin's number one will be written by Tim Silly with art by Baldemar Rivas. Uh, and it's going to just take a look at the realities and the cost of being a Robin. And uh, it will include all of the characters of the DC Universe at least in the current continuity, who have been Robin at one point in time. So that will include uh, Jason, Todd, Dick Grayson, uh, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, and of course the current Robin, Damian Wayne. And so they're going to just come together as a support group for each other just to you know, figure out whether or not it was worth it to be a Robin. So... That first issue is going to be out on November the 16th. However, uh, those members of DC Universe Infinite, which is the online uh, comic subscription uh, platform that DC has, uh, they will be able to read it a few weeks early. So they'll be able to read it digitally on DC Universe Infinite on October the 26th uh, before it hits the stands. Robin's number one by Tim Silly and Valdemar Rivas hitting the stands uh, in print on November the 16th but available to DC Universe Infinite subscribers on October the 26th. Also coming out in the month of November November must be Robin month uh, over at DC but they also announced uh, Robin and Batman a three part mini uh, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Wynn and uh, they're going to be getting together looking at the world's first sidekick so the first issue is going to be a 40 page prestige format book uh, looking at the beginning of Dick Grayson's crime-fighting career as 
Batman sidekick. And so be on the lookout for that once the lists are out. And I think the list is already out for the month of November. Uh, but be on the lookout for that when you do your orders for the month. Robin and Batman issue number one will be on sale November the 9th from DC Comics. DC has also announced and they informed uh, their partners that they informed the comic retailers in their retailer-only forum uh, that they are delaying a good bit of titles over the next few months. And these were books that were slated to come out between uh, September and November and uh, the cause for these delays is primarily pointed towards the COVID-19 pandemic and the uh, effects the pandemic has had on supplies and workforce. So just some of the titles that have been pushed back, uh, Batman Catwoman number eight is being pushed back to October 19th. Uh, Blue and Gold, which of course is the Booster Gold and uh, Blue Beetle miniseries. Uh, issue 2 has been pushed back to September the 7th. Um, the Green Lantern Annual uh, is being pushed back to September as well. Uh, some of the Milestone comics are being pushed back to mid to late September. Uh, as well as Superman, Son of Kal-El, and then some of the collected editions uh, that were slated to come out uh, at the latter part of the year and early next year have been delayed as well. Now, what hasn't been delayed uh, are all of the main books, it seems. So, Action Comics hasn't been delayed, Batman hasn't been delayed, nor has... Uh, Detective Comics and all of those main title books. Again, Flash hasn't been delayed either. Uh, but if you were reading a lot of these miniseries that are currently going on with DC right now, uh, just be aware that some of them will probably be delayed uh, from their original release date. And you may want to follow up with your local comic shop just to make sure uh, you're aware of when those books will be released. And then finally at DC, uh, they recently announced a partnership with Webtoon Entertainment to produce a series of web comics that will be based in the DC universe. Now, the good thing about these series that they are planning to do is that uh, it will won't require readers to go back and read any previous comic uh, in order to jump in and, and take a read. So uh, not much information was announced about this partnership. They said that that information will be coming out in the coming weeks, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what they have lined up for the platform once uh, these web comics are, are released. So that will do it for the news. So let's let's talk about some comics. So first up, White Chapter Two, written by Kwanza Osajefo, with art by Jamal Eagle, uh, published by Black Mask Entertainment, Black Mask 
comics. So if you if you read the first issue, you were introduced to the or reintroduced to the character known only as X, uh, who has been a thorn in the side of the current administration of President Theodore Mann. But uh, with issue two, uh, we see that X and the rest of his team at the project are now looking to see uh, where they can infiltrate uh, the man's administration, uh, especially their servers, to find out information on the powered black individuals that they are targeting uh, for arrest and kidnapping and whatever else that they have planned. So they uh, look to do this infiltration by kidnapping a member of the man administration who has access to the servers and so the person that they were looking at targeting is Ashlyn Murphy and so they look to do this at a gathering and it's kind of funny when you when you go through the pages and you look at the uh, the event and again this is full spoilers here the, the, these books have already been out uh, and the person hosting this event goes by the name of Orpa uh, which is uh, their take on Oprah Winfrey so uh, the man administration they attend this event uh, to show face although you you could clearly see that Thaddeus, uh, who is the son of the president, is not all that keen at being there. He'd rather play around on social media with all of his followers. But while the while this event is going on, a powered black being by the name of Americana, who is technically or who is uh, pretty much not a thorn or not a headache to the administration. She's registered with the government, uh, makes an appearance and takes a picture. But while all of this is going on, there is an incident uh, in which a young black teenager uh, gains his power as a white individual uh, attempts to accost him. Uh, he was initially accused of being powered, and despite the fact that he denied this, this guy who's following him and trying to accost him uh, pulls a gun and shoots, and uh, the kid powers manifest and in turn turns the bullet uh, on the guy that shot shot at him and killed him, but. Americana gets the sense of this and takes off. But it's around this time that um, they make contact with uh, Ashlyn uh, Murphy, the person that they were uh, looking to get a grasp of. And she actually finds uh, the 
team lead on on this mission, uh, Ellen Waters, who is not powered, but uh, is a key member of the project. Well, Ashlyn figures out who she is and their cover is blown. So uh, without hesitation, X, you know, despite orders from the command uh, says, you know, I'm out and he goes in and he protects his team. And in turn, after uh, saving his team, he actually takes Ashlyn Murphy and, and brings her back to uh, the project's headquarters where they're able to tap into uh, this server that she has a direct connection to in order to get the information that they were looking for. But while all of this is going on, the rest of the team is still at the event and they are being attacked by a man's uh, bodyguards and other members of the security team that are there. And so, uh, you know, they are battling them. And while this is going on, uh, Ashlyn actually converts into her own uh, man's first uniform, uh, the same one uh, that Thaddeus wears as uh, the initial prototype of the man's first program but she ends up with her own and she attacks the rest of the team that are actually at project headquarters and so you know they go out and uh with the help of zero and hood rat and you gotta love the name hood rat but they go and uh they take ashley murphy out and but you know the sacrifice is that while they're, you know, basically taking care of one individual, they basically lose the other half of the team because they've now been accosted by uh, man security and they've been taken away. And they come to realize that they are going to be taking them to China where man uh, actually gets a lot of the supplies that are needed to uh, create the suits of the man's first program. So that is going to lead into chapter three. Uh, and just they got the cover of chapter three at the at the back of the book, which uh, looks pretty funny. Now, let me just talk a little bit about the art. I absolutely love the art now. I'm reading the digital copy, and the digital copy is in black and white, and I'm pretty sure that the printed version uh, is in black and white as well. I really wanted the print edition, uh, but again, because they only limited the print run to 2,500 copies, I was not able to get me a print copy myself. But uh, the art by Jamal Eagle is absolutely stunning. I would love to see this book colored uh, and to see how how it would look with colors laid over it. But without them, it's just as well. It's it's really really good. Uh, 
the art is just beautiful and you know credit not only goes to uh Ego for the pencils but also to Juan Castro for uh dropping the inks on on the pencils. Uh so black and white number two from Black Mass Studios. Okay, up next, Hardware Issue 1, written by Brandon Thomas, with art by Dennis Cowan, uh, with colors by Chris Sotomayor, as well as inks from Bill Sinkevis. Um, So let me, let me first start off by saying it was so good seeing Dennis Cowan back on a milestone book and doing art again. Uh, with hardware, you know, I have the original hardware number one uh, that was done years ago, <clears throat> and so seeing him, seeing him back on the book that he helped create was just a just a joy to see. But when it was announced that he was being teamed with Brandon Thomas, I was even more excited. And you know, those of you who uh, particularly follow me on the Batman Universe comic podcast knows that right now Brandon Thomas is one of my favorite writers out there and so when uh, it was announced that he was going to be teaming up with Dennis Cowan to do hardware um, I was pretty excited you know pretty excited to see see these guys work together uh, but a little bit about the book first of all the art again I'm a big fan of Dennis Cowan and it is so good to see his artwork on the pages of a comic book again and the colors from Chris Sotomayor was very vibrant I love the palette that he used uh, to bring this story together now from a story aspect this picks up from uh, the Milestones Returns uh, one shot that came out a while back from DC where it's not long after the Big Bang Big Bang event in which uh, characters such as Static received their powers uh, and in that, in that one shot it was also you know mentioned uh, that Curtis McClatton it was also mentioned that Curtis Metcalf. It was also it was also mentioned that Curtis Metcalf uh, was the culprit behind the Big Bang occurring, and uh, his boss, who also turned out to be his mentor, uh, framed him for as causing the Big Bang to occur, uh, and so the one shot ended with Metcalf being uh, at his home lab and basically prepping himself in his hardware gear right before the cops burst in so uh, issue one picks up from there and you know he's he's telling the story of you know growing up as a kid and uh, you know being with his father uh, at the scene of a of a protest back when he was young, and how things seemed to 
come full circle and uh, right around that time is when the cops burst in and uh, attempt to arrest him for his assumed role in causing the Big Bang in Dakota. Now, for those of you who may have read the original hardware from McDuffie and, and Collins, uh, you know, you, you, you of course know that this is not along the same lines with how that series was done back then. Was done back then. Um, in the original series, you know, hardware came to be because uh, Metcalf wanted to take down his his boss, his mentor, because he realized that he was in organized crime, whereas this is not necessarily the case. It's, it's almost the other way around with uh, Alva, uh, the CEO of Alva Industries and Metcalf's mentor, uh, basically turning on Curtis because uh, despite all the grooming, he felt that Curtis uh, was a little bit too much of a dreamer and wanting to do more for mankind and not look after the almighty dollar. And Alva basically used the Big Bang as the means by which he could bring Metcalf down and punish him for what he's done. Uh, so it's an interesting story, especially seeing that uh, by the end of the issue, uh, Metcalf actually confronts Alvin and they basically, you know, commit to going after each other. So uh, we will see how that turns out. Again, I'm a big Brandon Thomas fan and I have all the trust in the world that he'll be able to uh, tackle this tackle this series and again it's only six issues so um, we will see how that turns out but again this is Hardware Season 1 uh, Issue 1 from Milestone Comics and DC Okay our next two books Ordinary Gods, Issues 1 and 2, written by Kyle Higgins, with art by Felipe Watanabe from Image Comics. If you are a fan of Greg Rucka's The Old God, this title is just for you. So, as I go through Issue 1, I'm going to go back and forth and again this is spoiler field so if you haven't read it yet and don't want to be spoiled bypass and then come back after you take a read but the backdrop of the story takes a look at this realm uh, that is or this kingdom that is divided into many realms and this kingdom is ruled by one being that is just known as the one king but in each of the realms of 
this kingdom. There is an immortal God who basically acts as a lord over that realm. And so, um, at some point, one of these, one of these lords, one of these immortal gods, immortal gods, uh, decided to revolt against the tyranny of the one king. And, uh, this one god gets four other of the realm overlords to join her in this rebellion. So uh, the five that lead this rebellion are the luminary, the prodigy, the brute, the trickster, and the innovator. So they set out to rebel against the one true king and the other lords that are loyal to him. But as with all that are immortal, these gods are unable to be killed. They're killed and they're immediately brought back because, again, they're immortal. So the innovator devises a machine that doesn't necessarily kill the others but traps them and imprisons them uh, in a different realm on another world and the prison that the innovator sets with this machine is earth and so with this machine, once a god is captured, it's supposed to deliver him to Earth, and that god is basically imprisoned there for eternity to live as a human, live as a mortal, and I won't say human, will live as a mortal or a being of the planet, die, and then reincarnate to live another life trapped on Earth. And it's just a continuous cycle over and over again. So, as the, as the innovator creates this machine and get it ready to use against the one true king, the one king and his followers, um, he's betrayed and someone who he thought was loyal to him actually turned out betraying him and the machine is used on the five trapping him on earth to live for eternity of death and reincarnation but they are not alone so as they are imprisoned uh, they lose all memory of who they are and the abilities that they have. But, again, as I mentioned, they're not alone. They are sent back with another being who is loyal to the true king, to the one king. And uh, these beings called stewards are also sent back. They don't remember who they are, what they what they are capable of doing but their job is simple if for any reason 
uh, one of the five begin to remember who they are, their job is to basically kill that person before they can truly actualize and come to their true form. And at the point that they kill the member of the five, they too die and are reincarnated uh, at the same time as the member of the five that they are tied to. And as they are reincarnated, uh, the steward is always reincarnated in a being that is tied to the member of the five. So a person can come back and they could be a pet or a or a parent or a friend. They just have some type of connection to the steward and the and the life that they've been reincarnated in. So as issue one begins, uh, it begins with a gentleman by the name of Dominic. And Dominic has a task of finding the five. So Dominic represents he is someone with the rebellion who was sent back. And his job is simple. He is to find each member of the five, awaken them so that they can recognize who they are, so that they can get back to this other dimension, so that they can finally bring the true king down and the true king and his followers down. So, uh, in this, in this, as the issue begins, Dominic is uh, chasing down this Japanese mob boss, and again, he doesn't know why he's being attacked. He actually thinks that it's a rival, a rival gang that is coming after him, but it's actually Dominic who is uh, looking to awaken him. But uh, as he finds this mob boss and he begins to tell him why he's there and why he needs to wake up uh, his bodyguard uh, his bodyguard kills him and it turns out that the bodyguard was, is actually this steward who is tasked with killing the member of the five uh, either as he's awakened or to prevent him from awakening so he kills this mob boss and he himself dies and as he dies he tells Dominic you know basically better luck next time and um, the soul of the steward floats from the bodyguard and on to the next body that uh, he will be reincarnated in so that's how the story begins and, and as you go through the pages it talks a little bit more about the war between the different realms and the true king and how the machine from the innovator was created but the main focus of this issue and the next is on a young man by the name of Christopher and Christopher the typical 20 year old kid uh, but he is uh, also uh, dealing with some deep depression he he actually attempted suicide at one point and um, 
is currently seeing a therapist to talk about his issues and getting over this depression that he is he's dealing with uh, but Christopher has a little sister who he is very close with by the name of Brianna and he has promised to bring Brianna to the mall with her friend Danielle to get this book that they both want to read before someone else does and so while he's at the mall after they've been able to get this book uh, they come across this kiosk uh, that is operated by the reclamation and so the reclamation in Christopher's eyes is a cult but the reclamation believes that there are gods living amongst humans and that they will one day wake up and save the world uh, and so they this this young lady who is manning the kiosk attempts to get Christopher to basically take this test to see if, if he has what it takes to be a part of the reclamation reclamation but again you know Chris sees this as a cult and, and he wants nothing to do with it so he and his sister and, and his sister's friend take off so the next day uh, Chris is delivering some paint uh, at least he's supposed to be delivering some paint or something to a reception and he ends up in this office and in this office is an older lady and if you remember from the early the first few pages a gentleman that looks like Dominic and they are basically the leaders of this reclamation and they are talking to Christopher and trying to get him to realize that he may be more than what he thinks and again Christopher wants nothing to do with this at all and as he turns and walks away the lady reaches out and touches him and as she does that all of these memories start to rush into Christopher's head and he is just seeing vision after vision after vision and so terrified as he is he takes off he wants again he wants nothing to do with these guys he, he wants nothing to do with this cult and so at dinner uh, he's telling his folks about what's going on and Brianna is sitting there with this weird look on his on her face and Christopher, you know, he realizes this and he's like, well, hey, sis, what's, what's up? And before you know it, Brianna attacks him. And after she attacks him, she kills their parents, both mom and dad. And then she turns her attention back to Christopher. And again, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. And uh, before she is able to strike a killing blow Dominic pops up again and he uh, shoots Brianna in the hand uh, basically wounds her as she's trying to stab Christopher uh, so 
Brianna doesn't go away lightly. She then attacks Dominic, who is able to quickly put her down. But as he does, the house begins to catch a fire. And he's able to get Christopher out of there and into the vehicle that he then... Christopher's injured, confused, not sure what's going on. Uh, but Dominic tells him, hey, you are the luminary. You are our leader. And you're the only hope of, of destroying the world. And destroying the world is what needs to happen in order for them to break out of this prison that they're in so that they can return home to fight the rebellion, finish it off the rebellion against the true king. And so that's how issue one ends. Now, in the back of each issue, there is a narrative that I think, and I suggest that you also take a look at and, and read just to uh, get some more insight as to some of the things that happen in the book. Uh, and it's, it's pretty nice. But, again, that's how issue one ends, and issue two begins with Dominic uh, waking up in a bed. Again, he's, his, his wounds have been uh, taken care of, but he is still having visions, and these visions, again, cause him causes him to wake up. And as he does... Uh, he finds a dog sitting at on the floor on the floor at the foot of his bed, and um, you know he's he's thinking, okay, where am I? I need to get out of here. But he again, he can't he can't get these visions out of his head. And the last vision that he sees is of Brianna killing his dad and attacking Dominic and Dominic shooting her and. You know, and, and getting him out of there. Uh, so, Christopher, you know, he's like, okay, buddy, talking to the dog, it's time to get out of here. These these people are crazy, you know. And he's again, he's speaking of the of the reclamation, the folks of the reclamation. And so, as he is attempting to escape, he finds that he is actually, you know, where he is is at a lighthouse on an island surrounded by water so you know there's there's no way he can get out of there and so uh he again is joined on the deck by by dominic uh, by dominic and the woman from the other office so christopher is joined on the deck of the of the on the deck of the lighthouse by Dominic and the lady from issue one and the dog and some others and again the lady is trying to get Christopher to calm down and to come inside and just hear what they have to say Christopher you know he's believing that they may have gotten to Brianna and brainwashed her and that's why she attacked him and their parents but uh, the lady basically explained that uh, Brianna was awakened because he was awakened and that's why uh, 
you know, she attacked and, you know, she she figures and tells them the dreams have started happening, uh, have they? And so, you know, the look on his face, it, you know, pretty much confirms to her that they have. And so she asks him, have, have he remembered the snow yet? Um, which, you know, he's not too sure about, but, you know, she figures that he's he's going to remember, but he calms down and he goes in and listens to the story of the five and his role. And before we get to that, you know, we get a little backdrop on Dominic and his role in the rebellion and how he, you know, how he was chosen to be sent to Earth to find the five to bring him back. And unlike the five and the stewards that are connected to them, Dominic has always known who he was and what he was sent there to do. So he he has the memories of of the realm and the kingdom and the rebellion that's going on and the task at hand with finding the five and awakening them so that they can return. And so as they talk, you know, they Christopher, you know, says, well, you know, there's only two of us, you know, there's me and the lady that's here with Dominic, but, you know, Dominic confirms that, no, there's actually three that he's been able to awaken, with the third being the dog, uh, who is also a member of the five. Because, again, as I mentioned earlier when discussing the book, reincarnation could occur in any any type of being, and in this timeline in this lifeline uh the dog is one of the five and as we learn a little bit later in the issue the dog is actually the innovator the one who actually created the machine that sent them all there but they speak about the mission of finding the other two while protecting while protecting the three uh, from the stewards. And we learned that that Dominic did not kill Brianna. And so we know that the steward that is living within Brianna is going to be looking out for Christopher to complete her task of killing him so that he can be reincarnated again one day. So now Christopher is still hesitant. He's still hesitant to believe everything that they're saying. So to finally prove everything to him, uh, they bring him down into this sublevel chamber where they introduce him to Harry. And Harry is the steward of the woman uh, who's still for some reason 
hasn't been named. I'm not sure what her name is or uh, who she actually is at this point. Uh, but we do know that Christopher is the luminary and the dog is the innovator. But we don't know who the woman is. And it's at, the, at this point, it hasn't been revealed. But they revealed that the only way that they were able to capture Harry and have him in this suspended form was to kill her husband. And that's whose body Harry had been born into. And so because they captured the soul, uh, the soul wasn't able to be reincarnated into another being and it was also trapped for the simple fact that uh, the the God the, the member of the five that is connected to hasn't died yet either so until that body dies and is able to be reincarnated into a, another being uh, he's kind of in this limbo So now, you know, Christopher's starting to believe the story that's been told to him. And he is, he is again, starting to see more and more visions. And as he's sitting there and he's talking to, I'll just call the dog Innovator since we know that that's, that's who's within the dog's body. Um, you know, innovators trying to cheer him up, calm him down, as a dog typically does. But Christopher is starting to see more and more visions, and this last vision that he sees, he is hearing Russian, and there are some people walking in snow, and they have... Uh, a guy who is supposedly a member of this this rebellion rebellious army uh, tied up and as the issue comes to an end uh, the guy is getting his brains blown out uh, and Christopher realizes that he's the one who's shooting this this rebellion leader but he also realizes that at this point in time he was in the body of Joseph Stalin and so that's how issue two comes to an end so let, so let me just say and I mentioned this when I reviewed um Radiant Black a few episodes ago, but damn you Kyle Higgins with these surprises I mean that was that there was an awesome reveal uh, to see that the luminary, the one who's supposed to be the leader of this rebellion was at one point in time uh, the Russian dictator Joseph Stalin, so it is going to be quite interesting to see how this affects the mindset of Christopher as he 
learns more and more about who he is and what his role uh, with the five is as far as being the leader of the pack and uh, somehow getting the other two to awaken so that they can so that they can return to the rebellion uh, but let me also mention before ending ending this the art by Felipe Watanabe and the colors from uh, Frank Williams it is absolutely stunning I I I truly love the artwork for this this book and it is the style by which it's done you know really gives it a rustic look you know it, 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 it as you go back and forth between the different timelines and the different dimensions the colors and the palettes truly match that so I gotta give big kudos to Felipe Watanabe and the rest of the autistic team for putting two great issues together so uh, we will see how issue three moves the story along with Christopher and the other two members of the five as they search for their final two partners because as we see on the inside cover uh, the next issue uh, Brianna and the steward living inside of her are truly on the hunt to take Christopher down so again that is Ordinary Gods issues 1 and 2 from Kyle Higgins and Image Comics okay next up Spider-Man Life Story Annual 1 uh, written by Chip Zdowski with art by Mark Bagley so looking at this and, and this Wallace's title Spider-Man you know it, this is a J. Jonah Jameson story uh, and it's it's quite an interesting take that Zdowski takes in, in putting this together. So, uh, basically, JJ is, uh, he's basically telling the story of his, of his life, going back to 1965, uh, when, you know, he was first attacked by Scorpion and Spider-Man saves him but as he goes through this he, he talks about all of the ways and the extent he he went to expose Spider-Man for being uh, not as good as the people saw him as and it turned out uh, that not long, um, not long after all of these things with Scorpion happened, uh, right before this cop would retire, he would arrest JJ because 
Scorpion revealed that, you know, he and Jameson, you know, basically set all these things up as far as, you know, trying to trap and, and, and get Spider-Man uh, to look bad in the public's eye. And so because of that, because of his, because of his interaction and because of his uh, work with Scorpion, he would be arrested and sent to prison. And so the story will pick up uh, in 67 while he's in jail and uh, pretty much take you through the years and the decades of what J. Jonah Jameson had to deal with personally and professionally as far as, you know, being booted from the Bureau, but also, you know, again, personally with the loss that he's had to deal with, uh, including that of his son, who, you know, of course, was the astronaut, but, you know, having to deal with that loss, and he would realize over time that in the end, he turns out to be his own worst enemy, and so this annual takes you pretty much decade by decade, you know, and you see J.J., and you see J.J. putting this memoir together, uh, talking about, again, just trying to get the truth out there and trying to get the people to see what he saw uh, when it came to Spider-Man and everything else. And he would develop a friendship with uh, Norman Osborn, a.k.a. the Green Goblin. And so he would learn that Peter's wife, and again, remember in uh, the life story timeline, Peter marries Gwen Stacy. And uh, he would learn of Gwen's death and, you know, blame Spider-Man for that. He blames Spider-Man for everything. And he tries to reach out to Peter, but again, puts his foot in the mouth. And, you know, Peter you know, turns away from him, you know, and again, you just see more and more in how no matter what Jonah does, he, he always, he can't, he's his worst, he's, he's his own worst enemy, and he just can't get out of his own way, and so um, eventually he joins this uh, support group in prison uh, with other inmates who are, you know, just coping with life. And, you know, we see that uh, Osborne is actually getting out of prison and he's looking forward to it because he gets a chance to spend time with his, 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 his family and particularly his grandson. Uh, but you know, Jonah again, he's just, he's just, just the hate that he's built up for Spider-Man is just 
you know, it's really overtaken him. And so, you know, while he's happy for Osborne being released, you know, he just, he, he totally feels that, you know, that, that Spider-Man's a menace and he just can't understand how those, you know, in the support group, uh, and again, these guys, most of them are, were put in prison by uh, Spider-Man, you know, and the only difference that are, the only difference between these guys is that most of them were put there by Spider-Man, whereas uh, Jonah was put there basically for his own doing. So, eventually, we're now in the 90s now, and Jonah is still working on his memoir, and the counselor from the support group, you know, reveals to him that uh, Norman Osborn has died, and, you know, he when they found, he died of a heart attack, but when they found him, they found him with his old Green Goblin gear. And upon his death, he had a letter that he wanted given to Jonah uh, on the day that he died. And so the counselor from the support group, Miss Carol, and if you've read if you've read Life Story, you could see that uh, Miss Carol looks a little familiar. But again, she's again trying to work with Jonah. And even though she feels disappointed in herself because what she thought uh, was a success story in, you know, helping Norman Osborn deal with his demons... Uh, turned out to be somewhat of a failure. And again, that at the, at the time of his death, they found him with his, uh, in the warehouse with all of his Green Goblin paraphernalia. But again, she, she speaks to Jonah, you know, about the truths, you know, that he's had to deal with and how he's going to handle that and Jonah realizes you know that you know it's been a long time since since he's been a reporter and you know at some point his life began to be more than about the truth you know it it became about opinion Um, and that's a strong statement I think you know as, you know, he realizes that at some point, you know, he was a different person. Uh, and at the point he became the Bugle's editor, his his focus, you know, sort of moved away from just finding out the truth. And um, this memoir that he's, he's again putting together is about people getting that truth. So, 2001, he's released from prison, and at this point, he is looking at the letter from uh, 
Osborne that was given to him, and it simply is an address. And so when he gets to this address, he finds a mech suit, uh, a mech spider suit waiting for him. And, you know, you would think that he would use this as far as going after Spider-Man again, but he doesn't. He is going after Scorpion, and he wants to make Scorpion pay for all that he's done as far as ruin his life and, you know, going back on, going back and correcting the wrongs that, that occurred going all the way back to the 60s when he and Scorpion conspired uh, to try to take Spider-Man down. So, you know, they battle on the rooftops of New York City and, and right before, you know, Scorpion is able to strike one final blow uh, with his Scorpion tail on Jonah, uh, Jonah's able to grab it and take Scorpion out and he kills him. And so as Scorpion lies there dead, you know, Jonah gets out of the mech suit and he finds himself standing on top of the Daily Bugle. And as he realized where he is, he has a heart attack and dies. And so uh, the funeral, you know, for JJ, uh, JJJ, Triple J, uh, is light. There's not many people there in attendance, but uh, hiding there amongst the, among the trees is Peter Parker. And um, he finds himself not alone and he finds himself standing next to uh, Miss Carol, you know, who he mistaken at first as being Quinn Stacy, uh, you know, his wife, but he realizes that, you know, that it's, it's her clone. Uh, but, you know, as she, again, has tried to help Jonah and uh, Norm, she now also wants to help Peter as well, and she wants to do so by telling him J. Jonah Jameson's story and the fact that, you know, he spent his last days doing that, that memoir, uh, and the memoir was full of truth, and, you know, at the end of it all, you see Peter would see that, you know, in, in his final days, Jonah realized the truth about everything with regards to Spider-Man and who he was to the city and how all of that obsession and responsibility was, you know, it was just misplaced and that memoir was to put things back together. And so, um, as the story ends, you know, Miss Carol hugs Peter, you know, and um, 
you know, tells him, you know, give me this book because Jonah wanted Spider-Man to have it. And Peter says, well, I'm not Spider-Man anymore. And, you know, and as she walks away, she says, I know you too well. And as the issue ends, uh, Peter pulls his mask out of his jacket pocket. So I, I read this with little knowledge of everything with Spider-Man life story. I read the first few issues, but I did not read the entire uh, series when it was out. But it makes me want to go back and, and, and follow up on it. However, this is not something that I believe you do need to read in order to enjoy this story because I truly enjoyed it. Uh, and of course you can't you can't not like the art uh, from Mark Bagley who's just one of those legendary Spider-Man artists as of late. You know, he's been doing a lot of work in the past few years and I truly love uh, what what he's done and what I also have to give compliments to is in addition to the art and uh, on the art I mean in the pencils I also need to give compliments to Andrew Hennessy on the colors uh, that he and he and Matt Milia uh, provided with this book. Uh, again, with the inks and the colors, you, you, if you were to read a regular copy of, of Amazing Spider-Man that's out there right now, the colors are very vibrant and you know it, it's very vivid. It's very lively, and you know, of course, it also has to do with the pages, but. The colors in the palette, while still very vivid, are, they're very subdued and, you know, they're, it, it, it's, it's, it's nice from the standpoint that it, it brings these, it, it brings life story to life. You, 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 it's, it's not super bright, vibrant, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, 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 I am okay with the the lighter tone of it. So just great work with that. But again, uh, that was annual one of Spider-Man Life Story from Chip Sadowski at Marvel Comics. Last book for the episode, Icon and Rocket, Season 1, Issue 2, written by Reginald Hudlin, with art by Doug Bratwaite. Um, so, I want to make sure I don't sound too negative when I say this, but of the three milestone books that are out uh, being Icon, Static, and Hardware. Um, Icon and Rocket 
is the weakest of the three. Now, again, I don't want to be negative, um, you know, because it's, it's a good book. Uh, it's a good title. But of the three titles, it's it's the weakest and it suffers from a few things, at least in my opinion. Uh, first being that the other two books are out. And I just I personally think that right now Static and Hardware are, uh, they just have a better story. And that story is moving along a little bit better. And so the second thing uh, that I think it has going against it is its pacing uh, how the story is moving along there are a lot of flashbacks that is ingrained in each of the first two issues and while I think they're important to be in here because again it gives you a backstory of Icon and who he is and how he came to be but it, it doesn't move the story along fast enough and definitely not as fast enough as Static has moved along and as uh, Hardware has moved along so uh, that's what makes it the weakest of the three books again it's still a, a good story but it's moving at a slower pace. And while I know uh, DC and Milestone uh, always have season two as an option, you know, I would, I would really want, I would really hope the story moves along fast enough to where we get some closure by the end of uh, the final issue of season one, which should be issue six. But uh, this issue does a lot of focus on um, Raquel, who is, of course, AKA Rocket, and how her popularity, as well as Icon, has grown in the streets of Dakota. And uh, it's at the point where, you know, Kids are coming to her for help. Uh, you know, there, in, in this issue, we see where she helps a woman who is uh, a victim of domestic abuse get rid of her abusive uh, boyfriend or husband. So, you know, who, who Rocket is and who Icon is seems to be well known in Dakota. And it's even to the point to where the police even know who she is and they confront her mother, you know, to try to get her to either get Raquel to back off or, you know, they're going to have to bring her in. And so if they are pressuring her um, for more information on Rocket, uh, there's a knock on the door and it is a lawyer who is who has been called to represent both uh, Raquel and her mother 
so uh, and this lawyer was called by some uh, citizens who saw the police approaching and they reached out to this attorney to come in and help out and so as the police leaves Raquel comes out of her room and the lawyer and I'm gonna butcher her name uh, but it, I believe it's pronounced Theamara uh, but Theamara Collins basically says hey I represent a group of people who who has your well-being at heart and they want to make sure that you're you're well protected and so I'm going to be here for you and so while this is going on um, Icon and of course his his alter ego is Augustus Freeman is um, visited by a government agent from the with the NSA and again Icon is well known to the government he's been around for years and so they know who he is where he's come from and his abilities and I'm sure that they've uh, taken advantage of that but basically uh, this this agent comes and tells him you know that that he needs to back off or there will be consequences to his actions and to that of Rocket uh, but he tells the lady hey and the, the lady's name is Miss Baker but he tells Miss Baker uh, yeah that's not gonna happen you know it's not the first time you all have threatened me and um, yeah do what you think you can but he, he you know he's going to uh, continue doing what he needs to do to protect Dakota and so um, as Miss Baker warned and as Rocket was told by Icon but as but as Miss Baker warned and as Icon also warned Rocket at some point through the issue, um, you know, there are consequences to their action and, you know, people will come after her and they will come after those who she loved to get to her. And so we get an example of this when they are attempting to take out this uh, this drug lord by the name of Zeus Capone and as they are uh, battling him and his goons you know Zeus comes out with some really new heavy tech uh, that you know he uses against Icon and uh, at some point he is able to get away from them but this whole ordeal with going after Zeus and the battle that ensued uh, because of this tech uh, was really a distraction so that uh, some of Zeus's uh, henchmen goons could attempt to harm Raquel's mother and if not for 
the sake of some community leaders of Dakota um, who stopped these guys, you know, we can only imagine what they may have been able to do to her mom. So, you know, definitely consequences for their actions, but, you know, we will see how that plays out. But the story ends with uh, Miss Baker meeting with a Benedict Lord who seems to have a history with Icon. And in fact, he, uh, that history goes back to the Civil War. And if you read the first issue, uh, you know that that's when Icon really manifests himself as a hero, as he, you know, freed the slaves that lived on the plantation he was raised in and uh, proceeded to do that and continue that. Well, Benedict Lord uh, tells the story of how the Civil War actually ended uh, with Icon basically, you know, moving forward with not only the uh, freedom of the plantation where he lived, but he would also uh, move on to Richmond. And in doing so, he would attack the Confederate home of President Jefferson Davis. And there's this one panel where he is walking out with the severed head of Jefferson Davis in his hand. But again, he knows this because at the point Icon walks out of this burning home, he stabs him uh, through the heart and basically watch him bleed, bleed out, you know, and Benedict pretty much believed that Icon was dead at this point, but apparently he is not. But he is committed to ensuring that this time uh, when he kills Icon, he's going to make sure that he stays dead. So I am uh, hoping as we move on now to issue three and the subsequent issue that you know we we see this story really moves along into how uh, Benedict Lordix intends on um, putting down Icon and Miss Baker's role in doing so and how all of this plays out. You know, because again, I think. I think the story is really good. It's a slower pace that I really hope starts to move on. And now that we have the backstory of all the key players, it's my hope that we really see the pace pick up some. So uh, finally, just a little bit, just a little bit on the art. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, the covers, first off, the the covers by uh, Turin Clark and Doug Bratwaite were pretty good. Uh, I actually preferred 
the Doug Bradway cover. Uh, I just liked the, the, the tone that it, it had. But the artwork itself from Doug is really good. And I think the colors from um, Brad Anderson, mm-hmm. you know, who I've been a big fan of since uh, he was on Detective with Brad Walker and Andrew Hennessy. Uh, was really really good and it's really really good here as well and there is again I mentioned the page where Icon walks out with the severed head of Jefferson Davis you know it's just that palette of red and orange and yellow and, and just seeing Icon walk out you know burning himself still walking out unscathed you know that's just just for as as limited of a palette you know because again it's only those tones of yellow and orange and red it is very vibrant and looks absolutely beautiful and you see that through the other panels in which there's a battle going on so anytime there's a gunshot or there's an explosion that 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 tone of yellow and orange and red it's just very vibrant and beautiful and so the other pages are pretty good as well again I am a fan of the work from the Doug Bradway and the colors that are laid on top of the pencils and the inks uh, just just really brings this issue to life so I am hoping that we are really gonna see more and more action now uh, as we proceed through the remaining issues of this first season um, but again that is Icon and Rocket season one issue two from Reginald Hudlin and DC Comics. So that is going to do it for this episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, next time, next time we're going to do an abbreviated previews episode. And I'm saying abbreviated because uh, there's going to be three books that I want to cover next time as well um, so we're looking at doing Star Trek The Next Generation The Mirror War Zero from IDW issue number three of Ordinary Gods from Kyle Higgins and Image Comics and then finally the final issue of Infinite Frontier from DC as always please leave us a comment wherever you get your favorite podcasts and if you want leave us a comment on either of our social media pages or you can shoot us an email at podcast at grandadmiral.net but again until next time this is theo from the comic ben comic book podcast we will see you next time and until then keep reading those comics